UBM is a name that hides a lot of history. The FTSE 250 business started life as United Newspapers, founded by Prime Minister David Lloyd George in 1918. The company spent the latter half of the 20th century expanding its newspaper, PR and event operations. But since then, it's changed tack, selling broadcasting assets and newspapers, and last year its PR newswire service as it refocuses on events. Joining me to discuss its strategy, outlook, and to test the investment case is CEO Tim Cobbold. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. So tell me about your events first strategy that you launched in 2014. How are you trying to change this business? Okay, so the event first strategy was essentially a choice to focus UBM's activities uh, on one thing. I'm a big believer in focus because generally, if you concentrate on doing one thing excellently, you become better and better at it and often better than any of your peers who are trying to do multiple things. Now, the reason we chose events is that events is a very attractive sector in which to operate. The financial characteristics of that sector are very attractive. So the capital employed is really quite low. Margins are high. The growth dynamic is uh, very strong. And the cash that we generate is very high. So it's an extremely attractive sector in which to be present. Now, happily, of course, in 2014, UBM already had a strong presence in that sector. So we had that marrying together of an attractive sector and already a strong presence. So we decided to call our strategy the events first strategy, speaking to the priority that we were giving to the events business. Now, we've done a lot since 2014. The first thing that we did is that we made the decision to make a a substantial acquisition uh, in the United States, the largest events market in the world. It's called Advanstar, and happily shareholders supported that by actually putting money in their uh, pockets. And that acquisition has gone very well and delivering very strong returns uh, on the uh, capital that we uh, put to work. And that increased the proportion um, of UBM's business that is in events. The next step that we took that actually uh, concluded in mid-2016 was to sell the uh, PR Newswire business, which we were able to sell at a very attractive multiple, fundamentally because we found a buyer for whom they saw a lot of value for that business. And that was completed, as I said, at the end of June 2016. And you passed back about half of that those proceeds as a special dividend. Absolutely right. We judged that that was the right thing to do for such a significant uh, disposal. But importantly, we retained the other half of those net cash proceeds. And at the end of 2016, we were able to reinvest those back into the more attractive events business. So where that left us after... Uh, 15 and 16, the first two years of events first strategy, is a business where revenues, the proportion of revenues from events went from something like just under 60% in 2013-14 to over 80% in 2016. But perhaps more importantly, the proportion of profits moved from around just over 75% to more than 94% uh, Mm. of profits derived from events. Are you not concerned that you're now a less diversified business by revenue? in terms of your um, operations? That is a fact. I am not concerned about it because in the judgment sitting there is that the value, the additional value we create by being focused outweighs any, uh, shall we say, risk diversification. And implicit in that is actually often shareholders are better placed to choose how to diversify their risk than businesses. And that's where focus, that's where the logic of a focus strategy rests, really. And and talk to me about All World, another acquisition that you made. Sure. So, 
that we think always super, super exciting. Um, it's 100% an events business. So shareholders can be confident we're spending the money, all of their money on the attractive events business. But even more interesting, I think, is that it's got a very good and strong track record of growth. So just to give you a sense of it, over the last 10 years, um, it has grown by more than 7% on a compound rate over those 10 years. And where is it operating and what kind of events? Ex- ex- excellent point. The next key point is that it is focused on Asia and particularly ASEAN or Southeast Asia. And those uh, economies, you know, uh, Thailand, Malaysia, Philippines, Indonesia, in all of which it is the largest player, are growing very, very strongly. And that's what's underpinned uh, the growth rate. Now, the really exciting thing about All World is that in combination with UBM's business in Asia, UBM was already the largest organiser in Asia. With All World, we are the largest uh, organiser in Asia. We're able to derive tremendous synergies, wonderful complementarity. Let me uh, put it Let me put it this way. All World work in eight different industry sectors. UBM was already present in seven of them. They worked in 11 countries and UBM was already present in nine of those countries, obviously to differing degrees by country. And that complementarity is what we can exploit to drive revenue synergies. And actually what you will see happen all world in UBM is that we will accelerate the growth. And certainly for through the first couple of years, you'll see double digit growth out of all world um, uh, in, uh, in UBM's uh, ownership as we leverage the value of those two businesses coming together. Okay, is that earnings growth? or is no, that, So that, uh, is rev- revenue that, that is revenue growth. Now, clearly, you can rely on revenue growth dropping through to the bottom line. It is a general truism in this, uh, in this business. Talk to me about the background here. There's a lot of consolidation in the events sector. Analysts at Librem think that there's going to be further acquisitions globally in this space. They even think that UBM could be a target of those sure. uh, that acquisition activity. What's going on? So first thing to think about is, interestingly, in this sector, remember I said the capital employed is quite low. One of the things, oddly, is that though margins are high, is that barriers to entry are quite, uh, are quite low. So as a marketplace or as an industry, it's actually very fragmented. So what that means is that on uh, on an ongoing basis, there are always opportunities for us to make bolt-on acquisitions. So you get good organic growth characteristics supplemented by inorganic growth. Now, of course, from time to time, there are larger opportunities, as was the case with Advanstar uh, and with uh, Allworld. So all the time, us and other players in the industry are looking to supplement organic growth with uh, bolt-on acquisitions, and every now and again, there is a larger opportunity. So does that mean that there is uh, consolidation in the sector? Well, I suppose it does. The wider question, when you think about the larger players, such as Reed Exhibition Business, UBM, Tarsus, uh, ITE, um, is the larger question that Liberian perhaps are alluding to there is whether there will be consolidation at that level. And time will uh, time will tell. Um, all I can say about uh, UBM is that we are by far the largest pure play. So you invest in UBM, you certainly know what you're investing in. And I know this is the third company I've been, a, a, you know, third listed company I've been a CEO of. Uh, at the end of the day, our job is to run the business excellently. And, you know, your uh, readers and listeners can be absolutely sure that's what we're setting out to do. And if somebody sometime comes along and wants to pay a price, well, that's what happens when you're a listed uh, listed business. But it is about value. That feeds in something I wanted to talk about. So 
You've made a lot of acquisitions. Your net debt at the end of 2016 was 2.4 times your continuing cash profits. Your long-term guide for where you want that measure to be is between one and a half and, and two times. So on that measure, you're fairly well levered. If events is a, a low barrier to entry business, some investors might be worried that you haven't got as much firepower to be able to make the acquisitions to keep your growth going. Okay, so first of all, let me just be really clear about what we call our financial policy. Uh, And ultimately, that means what investors can expect to see vis-a-vis leverage. So we said our target corridor is to between one and a half and two times levered. That is to strike the balance between efficient use of a balance sheet and just simple prudence, right? You never know what is going to happen tomorrow. Now, what we said when we set the financial policy is that we can easily see circumstances where we might need to lever up by another half a turn to two and a half times. Note that post all world we are at 2.4 times. Or there may be a time when we actually, for whatever reason, have more cash than we have been able to reinvest back in the business. So we have the latitude to drop by half a point either side. But, and investors can totally rely on this, we will work to come back inside uh, inside that corridor. So then the question that you asked them was about whether, oh dear, at 2.4 times you are over-levered. Well, think about this a little bit more in continuum. Only in December do we make what I believe will be, uh, well, what is a super acquisition absolutely in line with our strategy and in a very cash-generative business. So we have said in between 12 and 18 months, possibly quicker, you will see our leverage reduce. And as our leverage reduce, so our firepower will then, shall we say, we're filling up our war chest again, right? But I think it's, you know, perhaps a bit unreasonable respect, just having made a significant acquisition, albeit within our uh, financial policy upon which you can rely, to then say, well, you're over-levered, you can't do anything else. I mean, the real thing now is to make that acquisition generate the cash, which we will do, and you will see leverage come down. And then our job in the meantime is to be identifying another good acquisition that is accretive for shareholders, and then we reinvest invest the money back in the events business. How about um, investors that might be concerned that the integration of All World and other businesses you bought over the past few years might eat up some of your spare cash? Well, I mean, you know, investors are always, when acquisitions are made, are always wise to be thoughtful about how the integration is done. And what we've tried to do is share that with people. One of the things that I hope will help build some confidence is uh, when we made the Avonstar acquisition, we said uh, we would integrate it in a certain way. We have done that. We said we would deliver certain synergies from doing it. We actually ended up delivering twice the level uh, that we had originally uh, identified. So if that is, shall we just say, a good large example of where we have done it well, then that should give some confidence to investors. And a very similar approach to integrating all world is being taken albeit that it is a different acquisition in a different part of the world, so it needs to be done uh, appropriately to that situation. But the same principle of having one individual responsible for the integration, for connecting old UBM with new BM with the new business, we are absolutely following. Indeed, only this morning we had uh, we had our integration call on All World. It takes place every two weeks, so we keep right on top of the plans to develop it. So there are never any guarantees in the world, but I can firmly say to uh, your listeners, listeners and readers, that uh, our approach to integration is really solid and very consequential, and we follow it very closely. Why? Because we 
have to deliver the synergies that we said we would deliver and we will. If we shouldn't rule out further acquisitions as UBM continues to grow, should we rule out further disposals in the near term? Is there anything within the business um, as the restructure, I suppose, matures that you are still looking at selling off? So do you remember I said that something like 84% of revenues were now in event and 94% of profits? There are still some smaller legacy businesses. Is the marketing? Yes, they sit within a a category that we called other marketing services. You know, a rather unfortunate name. Perhaps we should say marketing services. But within marketing services, where some of those parts of those business are extremely well aligned to events. And those parts we will always keep. And the parts that are less well aligned to events, where it makes sense for shareholders, in other words, it's fundamentally value accretive, just as we did with PR Newswire, we will dispose of those. But in scale terms, they are pretty small in relation to the business as a whole. So I would encourage investors to think about that as trimming rather than a substantial disposal. Why? Because we're an events business. Well, let's talk about events and the areas of trading. So you mentioned Asia. That's sure. uh, Emerging markets is a big proportion of your revenue, yes. which is quite unique for a, a you know, listed company in London, or perhaps not among some of the larger businesses. Um, and that's growing strongly uh, on an underlying like-for-like revenue basis. Talk to me about that. And then perhaps we could talk about North America, where things have been slower. Sure. So I think um, fundamentally, um, when you're in the events business or the exhibitions business, what we are about uh, helping happen is trade. So generally, you'll hear people talk about the growth prospects of our business as related to GDP, often GDP plus. The reason it's a plus, just by the way, is when people come to a trade show, they come to a trade show to develop and enhance their business. They bring their new products. They launch new things. So it tends to have a dynamic that is leading GDP because that's what people are trying to do. They're investing their marketing dollars. So when we think about our presence in Asia, and you're right, um, over 45% of revenues come out of Asia, we are benefiting from two things. One, the underlying strength of the economies in Asia. That includes includes mainland China. But all remember, I talked about ASEAN with uh, all world, those economies are growing very, very strongly. So if you're in the right geographies, that really helps. But just as important, trade shows work in a geography for a particular industry vertical. And it happens, and it's not an accident, of course, that the verticals that we are in, in those geographies in Asia are very strong. Mm. So for example, the baby show in China, They have just moved from allowing them to having one baby to two babies. Growth in that is very, very strong. Beauty in Asia generally, as those uh, as the middle classes grow across Asia, unsurprisingly, people are more interested in beauty products. It grows very strongly. Hotels and fine food are growing very strongly right across Asia. Interestingly, people like coffee and ice cream are very, you know, double-digit growth across Asia. So we're benefiting that from that in Asia, which is why you will see strong growth this year from us coming out of uh, Asia. And by the way, you know, Asia's broad term includes mm-hmm. India as well as ASEAN as, as well. It's interesting you mentioned jewellery and, and fashion because that's an area in the US that has been weaker on a comparative basis. Sure. Well, no, nothing is sadly ever perfect. So we have a very strong jewellery. Uh, franchise um, and uh, common with a number of uh, different segments 
aligned to luxury, particularly in mainland China, um, they have found it harder going. And that has certainly been true in uh, that we have found for jewellery in Asia. Um, but by harder going, I mean, no, we haven't seen decline, which many others have. We've seen broadly that portfolio flat, though we're quietly optimistic we'll start to see that turn. But my comments about growth in Asia account for perhaps a little bit more subdued in jewellery when we're talking about that in Asia, right? Mm. Um, now, you mentioned fashion. So your first, question, your first question on this sort of subject took us to North America. And it is absolutely the case that North America has been uh, more subdued at the first level, notwithstanding the strength of the US economy generally. Actually, GDP growth in the US economy has been somewhat more subdued than it has been in Asia. So you generally would expect growth to be a little bit lower. In our particular case, we have a very large fashion business. And fashion, the fashion is going through some quite significant changes, particularly in North America. And the effect of that has subdued growth in fashion. So we expect fashion, for example, this year to be flat, maybe tipped down a little bit, but still a tremendously profitable business. And uh, how about tech in the US? Interop is one of your events that struggled yes, a little bit. Yes, Interop is a Interop interestingly is an is an event that has uh, that has reflected some of the changes. Interop comes from interoperability between uh, IT systems and increasingly the move in IT systems um, has been to uh, sort of out of the box solutions or the cloud so interoperability starts to fall away. But uh, just to introduce perhaps if I may a little bit of balance of that our strongest event in tech in fact our strongest event in North America is called Black Hat and is all about cybersecurity. And this is a very significant show, right? Um, you know, think $20, $30 million a year. And I can tell you that is growing exceptionally strongly, probably as most people would expect. The interest in cybersecurity is unbelievably strong. Um, and actually, that show is, uh, you know, is contributing hugely to the performance of the region in North America as well. Uh, okay, I just one more question, I suppose, on the like-for-like -like sales. One of the f uh, only couple of analysts that have you on a reduced rating Vestex said, that some of your like-for-like -like growth doesn't sit as well against some of your peers. How do you think competitively you rate? Obviously, you've given a good account of how you get a diversified spread. Do you think that you're up with peers when it comes to your, the, your comparable revenue growth? It's a, it's a good question. But I think the first thing to say is quite interesting industry. Because we own a series of individual events, we effectively our business is a portfolio of events as is any other player in this marketplace. So in one sense, there isn't an industry of itself. There isn't a continuum in that sense. So uh, one's performance, assuming that the uh, the way the shows are run were equal, is a reflection of the quality of the portfolio. This is the first thing to say, right? That set aside, it is true and it is not good enough that the growth rate we generate from our portfolio, which is very large, um, it, it is not as good as it should be. And what I would tell investors, as it can be. They will see in our results in 17, we've been quite open about this, that now we've been through this period of transformation, concentrating on events, they will now see the value of focus beginning to come through and they will see the organic growth rate of the business uh, pick up. If I may, just yeah. the one other little rider to be aware of is that during this three-year period of launching the Events First strategy, we've been doing one other thing, which is culling or pruning away smaller events that either didn't grow 
or which didn't deliver the sorts of margins that we wanted for our business. And of course, while we are doing that, when you think of the year-on-year comparative, that introduces a negative into the growth rate. And what we were very open when we launched the strategy in 14 was that we would have three years pruning those out. We've made sure when we pruned them that we took any associated costs out. So the act of pruning was accretive to profit, clearly accretive to margin as well. And once we get through that in 17, people will see the growth rate start to nor- start to uh, normalise. But uh, actually, the analyst is correct on a reported basis right now. OK, I suppose stepping back, the events business that you've refocused on is more cyclical or exposed to GDP growth or GDP growth plus, as you've put it. I suppose right now, as we sit here, the um, the, sh- the shares are trading on a price to earnings ratio of 14, a forward earnings ratio of 14 against a 10 year average of 12. So they're a little bit expensive compared to their history. So if we're thinking, why should readers buy in now? One of the worries in buying in now sure. when the shares aren't particularly cheap historically sure. is that global growth especially in those areas emerging markets to which you're heavily exposed might not keep up and that will impact on all sectors sure. what do you say to reinsure investors around that okay well the first thing is actually if you make a comparison to where ubm has traded in history you're actually making a comparison between a business today that is completely different to the business that existed in history, right? And I think the it's difficult though, because as you said, it's quite difficult it to compare you to rivals because you have rivals that do a variety of different things, that, um, and it's quite hard to compare revenues. And then if you can't compare on history, then it's quite hard to construct a valuation case. Yeah, I, I, I accept it. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to have no, done. Sure. I absolutely understand where people would approach it that way. Where, the way I would try and encourage people to at least give some time to would be to think: is well, what are the underlying characteristics? of the business upon which we are now focused. And you can be certain that is all you are investing in. Now, you may like it or you may not like it, but actually the characteristics of that business demand a higher multiple than the hybrid that existed in the past, right? That is one of the reasons that the multiple is higher now. And we were very conscious of that. It is a higher quality business. Now, so that is one reason why you should expect the multiple to be higher. But if you think about your previous question, which is why isn't your growth rate as high now, as high as some of your peers? And what I said was actually you can expect that growth rate to move upwards. Now, as that growth rate moves upwards, you can either view that as uh, justifying the multiple that the shares are on now, or actually saying, when I start to reappraise the way I look at UBM, actually, if I start to see an event business that delivers terrific margins, that and actually it starts to improve its growth rate as well, and of course, that will speak to margin as well, because you get a gearing effect as the growth drops through, right? Then actually, I can believe that this business perhaps warrants a multiple that is in excess of where it is now. And I can tell you that's absolutely where we are driving. The third part you did mention was about a a linkage to GDP. And it is a fact that there is some sort of a linkage to GDP. And all I can say to investors is we're very thoughtful about our geographic spread. We're very thoughtful about our sectoral spread. If I've chosen to be an event, those are the two particular levers I can do to best insulate the business, ergo for investors, insulate them against uh, what happens within GDP movements. And the final thing I can do is make sure that we concentrate on larger events. There is all the evidence, if actually if you go back to what happened in 2008, 2009, is the larger events prove more robust when economic times get harder. And what we remember I spoke about pruning away the smaller events to concentrate on larger events, because it's those larger events that will be much more robust 
if economic times get harder. So that's how we try and provide some insulation to our investors. Tim, thanks for joining me. That's my pleasure. You can find further analysis on UBM at investorschronicle.co.uk.